Now I have nobody telling me what I have to do, what I don't have to do. Cause this, this household again is like, you know, my mom is still, you know, she's still very domineering and, you know, and now it's like, I don't have to listen to anybody and I don't have to do things that I don't want to do anymore. And so I literally hit the streets. And now. I'm the captain now. Coming to you from the K2 Studios in San Diego, California. This sounds great. You sound amazing. I always sound amazing. It's the world famous. Everybody sit off like BFS. Chris and Christine Show. Hey, what's happening, everybody? How are you doing today? You know, thank you so much for listening. And I am Chris. And I'm Christine. And welcome to episode 136 of the Chris and Christine Show. Fantastic, fabulous 4th of July weekend, baby doll. It sure is. And we have been hearing the fireworks all around us. So you hear, if you hear a little bit of popping in the background, it's because the neighbors are getting restless. Which is interesting because fireworks, like residential fireworks, are illegal in San Diego County. I think all fireworks are illegal in San Diego County unless you are have a permit to like launch it, like say a festival or like the, the what is it, the... Uh, like know, the SeaWorld stuff. Right, SeaWorld or the zoo. The zoo does fireworks? No, no I mean, that would scare the animals. I of don't course, think so. duh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, but you know what's interesting is that... All kinds of fireworks are illegal, including sparklers, which a lot of people like to use at their weddings. And so they're not even allowed to use sparklers at weddings down here because fire season. It's fire season like all year round around here. It's always pretty dry. We're like in a drought right now. like A really bad drought yeah, right now. Yeah, I drove by a lake uh, recently. You can see like the levels where it was really, really low. I think it was up in Escondido area, that lake up there off the side of the freeway. Lake, lake Hodges is what it's called. And you can see the actual water level. Uh, go down, recede from where it normally would, would I guess it would normally would be. So, so all that to say, ex- like exercise extra caution. And if you live in Southern California, don't light fireworks. And if you live anywhere else, please, please, please be super careful and keep a bucket of water nearby. Well, yeah, or fire hydrant maybe. I saw this really funny video on Instagram today from the LA News. I think it was in the NBC News Channel in Los Angeles, and they posted a video of these like car crash dummies holding fireworks to see what happens when they like a sparkler or a uh, bottle rocket or something goes off in their face or their hand. They're like ta- taking the heads off of these uh, so weird. car crash. Like hands- the crash test dummies, like the ones they put in the cars. Yes, exactly like those. Oh ones. my gosh! And they're getting blown. Their hands getting blown up, and their faces getting blown off all of them firecrackers so uh, be careful out there everybody. that's so crazy i remember when i was younger my cousins who live in oregon came down here and they brought some of the fireworks that are legal in oregon but are illegal in california with them what are they called do you remember what they're called um i mean they did like the um what are the ones with the bottles bottle rockets yeah bottle rockets and um there's this other one it's i can't remember what it's called but They were setting them off in the front yard, like in the street. And right then, like right as they were setting one off, the police came around the corner and caught us. No way. (laughs) Yes. We had like a whole group out there. But um, and then when I was younger, we used to go out to the river in Kingsburg. Um, It's called the Kings River. And my uncle and his friends would always set off fireworks. I remember one year they had this one. It because we used I mean, growing up, we always set off fireworks. It's still legal up in Fresno County. 
but um, it was this one, it was like a like a spinning star and you would hammer it into a tree, which of course now that sounds, like sounds horrible. super dangerous. I know, you hammer this flaming object into a <laughs> into tree. Into a tree and it spins around and it spun around, but it lit too fast and like sparks got, like the actual flame sparks got into the eyes of like three of the adults. And they were like, ah, ah, ah. And they had to like rinse out their eyes and everything was crazy. I remember this time in Mexico. You know, when you start a story off with saying this one this time. This time, in- one time in Mexico. <laughs> this one time in Mexico, down south, we were camping down by the beach. We used to do this a lot. I think it was San Felipe area. And we stayed down there all the time. But anyways, we found these fireworks. There's fireworks, you know, Mexico. I mean, come on, there are a dime a dozen. You know, fireworks everywhere. I didn't know that, but okay. But unless they changed the rules, but they were mm, we let's were Let's go at. to TJ. They, exactly. So they had these uh, fireworks and we got a handful of those little small firecracker cracker kind, right? You know? And um, I was little, probably like uh, maybe 10 years old, maybe 12 years old. And we're down there and we had one. And I was so scared, you know, so I thought like, I'm going to throw it, you know, light it and throw it. But I guess I, I timing was off. <laughs> so I went to go throw it and it blew up in my hand. <gasps> but I didn't. Where's lo- your scar? Yeah. See this finger? It's not there anymore. Uh-huh, I'm just funny. kidding. No, but it blew up. And I was like in pain and I was screaming. And of course, I'm a kid, you know. Wait, you <laughs> screaming? Like, if you stub your toe, it's literally like the end of the world. So when you say screaming, like, how dramatic was it? Well, I thought I lost my hand, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Although you probably looked down and still saw it was there, but you were convinced. Right. It stung real bad. It was a bang. And of course, you know, like, I was freaking out because, you know, I mean, even as a kid that young, you kind of realize that fireworks are kind of dangerous. Like, the bad things can happen, you know. Now, you said it kind of stung. On a scale of one to Stingray, where was it? Uh, not a, not as bad as a Stingray. <laughs> because there wasn't any blood. But There wasn't blood and it exploded in your hand? If there was blood, my hand would have gone. My finger would have been missing. I no, think. it wouldn't have been. Yeah. But no. Well, never trust the TJ fireworks. Maybe they're duds <laughs> and they're not going to work quite as right as the real ones. But uh, that's what happened. I went to go throw it and it did bang. And and before I, before I got over my shoulder, before I, you know, my arm went over the other side, it blew up my hand. So, Oh, my goodness. Um, and you know what's so funny is because you're such a helicopter dad with our boys. You're like, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And now you're telling all these stories of what you really did. I think you were a troublemaker growing yeah, up. And maybe I'll, that's why yes. you're like such you are like the ultimate helicopter dad well first off thank you so much it's not a compliment and another thing that i used to do when we were younger is we had a house it was a one-story house but had a pitched roof so i had a little taller part so we get on the roof like the highest part of the roof and we try to make a parachute out of a tarp and some <laughs> rope. And we had like an old mattress down below. you say below. we, you and who? Uh, I think me, maybe the neighbor kids, maybe my brother. I don't know. Maybe just me by myself. <laughs> and we were just videotaping it. Hey, so I would jump off the thing. And we try to jump off that and see if it would work. But the only problem was we realized with those makeshift parachutes, they don't seem to want to catch the air until you really get a good. Because you don't have far enough to go. Right. <laughs> I, I think. We also used to make little zip lines out of rope and um, out of a tree and run zip lines down to like whatever we could tie it to at the bottom. And we didn't have like a pulley system. What we had instead of a zip line pulley, we used a piece of um, a PVC pipe. Uh-huh. You, you cut it probably about a foot long and uh-huh. you put the thing around the rope and then you slide down. <laughs> Down to the bottom. <laughs> that hand motion you just gave was very interesting. <laughs> well, you slide down the bottom. <laughs> That's how you do it. Well, you know what's so funny, though, is like when our boys are getting into trouble, I wouldn't even say getting into trouble, but like trying new and interesting things, uh, you're like 
so uh, so hyper fixated on what they're doing. And I would say I try to give them a little bit more freedom when it comes to them like, you know, trying to explore different things. But you're such a nervous parent. And it's so interesting that you're telling me these stories now because you'll freak out for our boys if they like, I don't know, ride their bicycle down to the end of the street without you versus like what you're talking about almost blowing up your hand. What was it the other day that you were freaking out that they did? Oh, making s'mores on the gas range. You were like, like, they were using fire. They were using the grill outside. And I'm like, babe, we did worse than that. I used to play with fire all the time when I was younger. Yeah, speaking of fire and fireworks, uh, my crazy neighbors, they had um, some leftover gasoline, gas cans, oil, who knows what in the side. And they made like a torch or something. We're dumping gasoline <laughs> on top of it. And I seen like a video or, or a show. Remember that old show? It was like um, the show it was like a hospital show where like true stories. They reenact the true stories of like people doing stupid stuff. Yes. And getting taken to the hospital. It was a show like that. And I remember one episode where the guys were dumping fire on something. And they're mm-hmm. like, well, I'm sorry, dumping gas on like a fire flame thing mm-hmm. they had going. These kids and they all caught on fire and craziness. Gosh, that could have been us. I think about it, but uh, that could have totally been me and my friends. We almost burned down the house of one of my friends. This is a story that uh, don't repeat this at home, children. We were trying to experiment to see if if it was possible to light ice cream on fire. And exactly it melt. Exactly what you would think. However, we rigged away for the ice cream to catch fire. It, it's interesting. It's not edible, but if you were to take a scoop of sherbet, rainbow sherbet ice cream and spray aerosol hairspray over the top of it, and then light it with a match, that thing goes up in flames. And it doesn't melt the ice cream right away, but what it does do is catch the um, the curtains of your friend's kitchen on fire if you light it too close to that because hairspray is very flammable. Yeah. We almost burned the house down. Hey, we, you know, not, not mine. But not, not to worry. I think they sold out of Aquanet in the 80s. <laughs> That's not true. I have three cans of it in the garage. Get out of here. I spray my pompous grass with you it. You can find Aquanet? Well, it's Rave. Rave, okay. Yeah, Rave's like the, the comparable one to the well, Aquanet. Didn't it like uh, destroy the ozone later or something like that? They kept saying like the hairspray. Yeah, the like- aerosol cans do. Um, the other thing that we used to do, don't do this at home, children. This is like the what not to do. Uh, we would get those clicker lighters and then spray hairspray on top oh, of yeah. it and make it into like oh, a yeah. flame, flame flower. Yeah, any kind of like uh, was it spray. Was it? I think WD-40 does the trick too. I oh, I've never done WD-40. That's so dangerous. Okay, maybe we should put a cap on this segment because here we are talking about fire safety and yeah, we are obviously say, pyros hey, switching over to riding bikes and kid stuff uh one thing we used to always do as kids was jump over each other on the bicycles what like we'd have as many kids we could lay down <laughs> like we on ra- top of each other no like lay down like in a row like <laughs> like everybody all the kids lay down <laughs> and we're gonna jump and, so and the guy absolutely lay- nothing will go wrong in <laughs> so, this scenario so the, so the guy the guy who was laying closest to the jump to the ramp he was safe the guy leaning furthest away from the ramp, he was like in the danger zone. <laughs> so you really don't know how if he was going to make it or not. Yeah. But, but if he didn't make it, he'd be hitting you. So that's why you'd be like, if you close your eye, oh, we do all kinds Did of Did anybody stuff. get like a broken bone from that? I, you know, I never broke a bone in my life. Uh, knock on wood, because the world will end if Chris breaks a bone. Uh, I thought I had a couple of times, though, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, you know, like uh, riding, on bi- riding a bicycle down the hill that with a blindfold on. What? <laughs> Okay, you have no room to talk when it comes to trying to keep our kids from doing crazy things. You were 
wild. Yeah, we played baseball in the backyard. We. Uh, I mean, that's that's fine. Yeah. What backyard. else did we do in the crazy backyard? You know, slingshots. Oh, one time we had this slingshot set. I'm like, hey, hey, Danny, my brother. Hey, put this apple on your head. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had a bow and arrow set too. You know. No, and, uh, you did not. You did not try to shoot it off of his head. No, but I did have a bow and arrow set, and I was trying to. Um, I was a bad aim too. You know, so like we we have like the target like on the big stacks of hay right in the yard. You know? I thought you were going to say on him. <laughs> no, I would crush his head. And I'd be trying to hit the target and I'd be like, you know, if you ever shoot bow and arrow, you'd have, or archery as they call it, you have like this arm thing because the, the bow yeah. string snaps back and it slams your arm. Right. Or the, the arrows could like slice you with a little the tines in the back, yeah. Right, right. Well, they have the kit I had. I had one of those, like, kits I got for Christmas. Thank you, Santa Claus. And it was one that was for kids or whatever. You know, had, like, three or four arrows. And, like, I think I lost all the arrows in the backyard, you know. <laughs> you can imagine. Shooting them, missing the target. They're going somewhere else. Uh, that was a good th- I wish I had another archery set. Those are fun. Yeah, and you know what? We have, like, the perfect setup here with the hill right next to us where we could actually stick, like, a hail, a bay of hail, like, on the that area and actually, like, do some archery stuff. That would be so fun. You ever shot a bow and arrow before? Oh, dude, yes. Oh, that's right. You're from Fresno. Summer, I forget. What? No, summer camp all the time. We would have archery classes at summer camp. I was a pretty good aim. Did you ever try to shoot an apple off someone's head, though? No, I did not. How about? Okay. But right. I did use, like, um, my dad would take me to the range, the shooting range. His friends had, like, the fancy bows, like the professional ones that are, like, titanium or whatever. And so I would, like, learn how to, like, pull the arrow back and... Oh, those are the ones that have like the, the sprockets and stuff in them, the, the uh, Kung Pao uh, bows, those ones? Kung, Kung Pao bows? <laughs> yeah, the Kung Pao chicken. <laughs> it's a Kung Pao chicken bow. What is happening on this episode it's today? Ca- compound bow. Compound bow, yes. I don't know what it's called. I just know it was fancy and, and expensive. And they have like the special, those ones can like hunt deer with those things. Yes, my sister shoots that. She's actually um, hunted a deer using her bow and arrow. That's her husband. Crazy. Her husband shoot, or hunts with a gun. Her and her daughter. With a hunt. gun? What a whip. You got to get a bow and arrow going. No, him. And well, how about a spear? My, Like I was saying, my brother-in-law hunts with a gun. My sister and my niece um, decided to opt for the bow and arrow. And so my sister actually did get a deer uh, maybe two years ago. Maybe it was just before COVID. But yeah, she's pretty good shot with her bow and arrow. Isn't that pretty awesome? That's pretty, it's way awesome. Yeah. I, I want to go hunting with like a spear. <laughs> you know, like back in like the I don't know dances with wolves. <laughs> no, they had bone Patriot. <laughs> back, yeah, exactly. Back in those days, we had a spear. And you can just throw it across the field and like you know nail. You know, like the like the a movie. spear or like the the axe. Oh, oh, like a hatchet or something. <gasps> Do you know? Okay, I know we've been very like all over the place, but did you know there's a thing? I know it's in San Diego, but I don't know if it's other places where you can actually go. And do axe throwing. Yes, it is called the Battle Axe. And there's a place in San Diego. I Why are you calling me that? That's not so nice. Battle Axe? <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd call you that. <laughs> but so this place is in San Diego. I do believe it's in the Claremont. Uh, there's like Michigan four of Gorge them. Area. There's yeah, one in North Park too. Yeah, you throw it against the um, the wooden whatever thing it has there. They had a mock-up fake version of that at Dave and Buster's. There's like a plastic one with like... The target had like these, like uh, a bunch of like these little plastic little finger things sticking out. So the axe would kind of stick into those, supposedly. It never worked for me. You totally lost me. I was just talking about like the actual axe throwing because you were saying, 
like back in the old days, you're getting to your carnal roots. I thought maybe you'd want to like go throw some axes. Or I kill a bear with my bare hands, you know, I just <laughs> wrangle them to death. Give, give a noogie or a wedgie, however they, however they take it. Speaking of bears, I, okay, bears and Instagram. This is going to make sense. So you know how you can watch things on Instagram? Like you'll watch one video and then all of a sudden it'll start bringing reels into your feed that are uh, like that specific type it of It thinks category. that you like that stuff yeah. now. So now you're all in. Yeah. So I watched this one video of a bear and it was like, I don't even know what it was doing. Maybe it was like breaking into somebody's house. And now like every time I open up Instagram, it gives me like five or six videos of bears. And you know what? I'm not mad about it. I actually have really started to like watching these videos of bears. I don't even know why. They're pretty interesting creatures. Uh, are the bear videos like um, breaking into cars and like harassing people? All kinds of stuff. There's um, There was one where it was like uh, trying to get into a car and actually like got on top of it and was like jumping on top of it. And then there was another one where it was just like, hunting salmon on this river and you see there's four people because they're videoing it there's four people sitting alongside the river like in their waders like they had been fly fishing and you see this huge bear just like like running up and grabbing a fish and it just kind of like looks at them and keeps running and i'm like oh my gosh they are so lucky because that was a huge bear but then there was another one i was watching and it was like a bear was chasing a skier down a hill while they were skiing and the skier was like completely oblivious to the fact there was a bear running down behind them and you could hear people from the ski lift, like they were videoing it, like, go faster, go faster. And, oh, really? Yeah. Like he, like ski for your life. Yeah. And the skier was just like skiing back and forth. But literally this, you could see this bear running down like almost the entire mountain after this skier. And I'm no like, way. It was crazy. I'm going to have to find bears, it for you. Bears are super cute and uh, you know adorable and cute and cuddly until you watch the movie The Revenant. The Revenant. Is the, that the Brad Pitt one? No, that's the uh, Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Oh, <laughs> I like how you just said that, Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, that I, I get those two mixed up, you know, the both of the pretty boys. So, yes, I saw that one. With the bear scene? And where he, like, lived inside of the bear. No, he got attacked by a bear. Then didn't he, like, get into the cavity of the horse or something? Yeah, that was later oh. on. That was, like, the the least of his worries. Yeah, <laughs> so, anyway. Yeah, the, they, call it, they call it the bear attack scene, uh, the movie. It's very realistic how they did it, and it was all done in one take. It's a crazy – if you watch the movie, please watch that scene from The Revenant. It's probably on YouTube. I'm sure it's on YouTube. And it's just a crazy bear attack scene. And uh, it was funny. I remember the first time I watched it, I had it on digital at the house. Um, I bought it um, on digital. And my son was uh, youngest, Mason. I think he was like, it was five years ago. So maybe he was like four years old. So it must have been like a year before Four. we met. That, he would have been five. So he was five years old. Mason was watching that scene with me on the TV and he was glued to the scene. He was like shaking, kind of like, oh my goodness, you know, because bears are cute and cuddly when they're kids, you know, they're like, you know, cute and you see a bear attack somebody <laughs> on the movie screen in, in graphic form. He's kind of like, what is going on? Yeah, that's so crazy. Well, yeah, that's interesting, but I've been watching all of these bear videos and I know we've kind of been all over the place today, but what's been going on with you this week, Chris? Well, I've got the radio station up in full gear. I actually had a, another podcast come on and I recorded a session with them with some of their favorite music from their band. They like the, actually their podcast is all about a music band called The Hold Steady. And Hold Steady? The Hold Steady is the band they are into. Oh, The Hold Steady? Okay. Yeah. So their podcast is about the band and about their tour dates and their group and all that fun, fantastic stuff. 
So I said, why not have you guys on the radio show? And we can have you guys, we can talk about you guys. We can play three of your favorite songs from the group or whatever. Why did you choose three songs? Well, that way I can keep the entire session to like 20, 25 minute tops. You know, I didn't want to go too long. Mm-hmm. So um, I just picked that. That way I can throw it into the radio station. Now I got it playing on the radio station. Uh, I got it playing for the entire month of July, twice a day. It's playing in the morning at 8 a.m. Pacific and at 4 p.m. Pacific. Um, I've been playing twice a day. That's awesome. Did you actually get to hear it today? Uh, yeah, I heard it twice. You know, the only thing I can't figure out what it's doing, though, because it's on autopilot, for some reason, it's trying to fill the entire like 30 minutes. Even though the recording went from like 26 minutes, it's trying to fill the entire 30 minutes or something goofy. Interesting. Yeah, so what it's doing is it's playing the entire session and then playing it over again. For oh, like four minutes? Yeah, then it's st- stopping. And I went on today to try to figure that out, but it's one of the things about the radio station I'm trying to figure out, and I'm, I don't know. It's a learning experience trying to figure this stuff out. Well, you're doing a great job, and K2 Radio is off and running. And you know what's interesting is, because I know you've been playing some promos for Christine Smith Designs on this podcast and then also um, on the radio station, I've been getting some interesting hits on my website, some interesting traffic over the last week. You have? Yesterday, I had somebody check out my website from the Netherlands. And then I've been getting some other ones where it doesn't register what the city is based off of what they're listening. But, you know, I would like to think that maybe I can attribute that to like the podcast promo and the radio promo. So congratulations for getting yourself out there with a worldwide listener base. Is there anything else that's been going on with you this week that you wanted to share? I can't think of anything. So what's new with you, baby? Um, Well, it's been a busy week. We had all three kids here and... Oh, it definitely was a lot to be able to manage, you know, working. But the great thing is that I got to transition my work into my new studio and it was perfect for me this week. We actually, we did record the episode for this uh, podcast in there last week, right? No, we did not. Oh, did we record an interview? Yeah, but not this one. Oh, we recorded something. Anyways, we were ch- testing it out and it was very interesting and... Um, I let you use the studio for a couple of days and then I took it back because I had work that I needed to do. It's been really nice to be able to like go out there. But I would say I got pretty angry one day because I got up early and I was like looking for my stuff and things were missing because you'd moved them around. And I was trying to get my computer charger to try and go work out in my studio. And I finally got all set up and I like went through my meeting that I had in my studio. And then I was coming to walk back into the house to have coffee with you. And the door was locked. Apparently, you decided to wake up while I was out in my studio. I'd left the windows open. I was trying to get a good breeze in. You decided it was too hot. You came down, closed all of the windows, locked everything up, left me outside And fortunately, I had my phone, but I was banging on the door trying to get you to come and answer. And then, I don't know, you'd like locked the door and then you went up and you went back to bed. (laughs) And so I'm like literally pounding on the door, locked out of the house. Yeah, like, what is that noise? I didn't know what was going on. I thought you were at work work, like actually not like in the office. No. And I told you I needed my charger because I had a meeting and I told you that I was going to work in my studio because now I'm on my new work schedule officially because it's July So I only work in the office on Mondays, and now I work from home the rest of the four days a week. Okay, okay. See, I was confused that day. I really thought you were physically outside the property, 
and the dogs and wolves just clap at clothes, everything. But you could have just looked in the driveway. The driveway just outside the house. Yeah, that but is on the east wing of the house. I was on the west wing of the house. No, you were closing up all the doors and everything. Anyways, you locked me out. And I had to say to you, okay, no more locking the doors until you verify that I'm not in the house. Text me or something because getting locked out is no fun because I have no way to access the property if you lock me out. That was such a bad situation. You could have got in your car, got your remote, opened the garage door, come in. I couldn't have. I didn't have my keys with me. I would have been completely locked out of the house. Oh, that would totally suck. You know, I'm so, so sorry for actually closing the door on you. Yeah, it really did suck. I was panicked because I was like... I was trapped. It was my first day working out in the studio. And it's like my worst nightmare, like totally made me like flashback to like childhood trauma and things that, oh, like getting locked out from my sisters and, you know, different things like that. And it was like, I was kind of paralyzed in that moment. And I almost didn't know what to do. I was just like, okay, you're not a kid anymore. Like just pound on the door. And then I didn't have my phone in my pocket, so I was like, okay, okay, I didn't lock the studio. I I guess I could go back there and I could get my phone, but I just kept pounding on the door, hoping that you would get up, and fortunately, you did, and you came down, and you were like, what is going on? I'm like, you locked me out of that freaking house. You're like, no, I didn't. I'm like, did you just unlock the door? (laughs) I I don't know. I'm so tired. I'm like, obviously, you weren't because you came down and locked the door it was such autopilot for me you know like when i come down like i was in the middle of my sleeping rem sleep you know like deep sleep right in the middle of it all and but you sleepwalked downstairs to close the door and turn on the air conditioner i don't understand i could do that like a sleepwalking which i just do pretty much sleepwalk when i come downstairs well maybe i should like get a sign that says don't lock me out because for me it really did like trigger like when i got locked out as a you know kid what you should do is have those little like signs you put on the door for podcasting there's gotta be one that says do not lock or i'm outside or something you can put on the, you can <laughs> like put on the, a dog you can put on the, on the door handle so when i go over there like oh yeah christine's outside i'm not gonna i'm not gonna or you could just you know check in you have been getting better about it you come out and you like when you can't find me you come out and you peek in the studio to see if i'm out there ezekiel had a great idea and i think i'm gonna do this he says that i need to get like one of those diner signs like the open and closed signs so you could just look out from the window and see like if it says open it means like i'm in the studio there you go isn't that a cute idea Something like that. Yeah. I thought that was a great little idea. I love it. It's great. Yeah. But, you know, speaking of, you know, traumatic situations and childhood trauma, we have a great guest this week that's going to talk to us about how she came back from hitting rock bottom and some traumatic experiences as a child and is now setting the world on fire. Absolutely. And we will have her right on the show right after this. Are you in the middle of wedding planning and feeling overwhelmed? There's no need to fret, my friend. Christine Smith Designs is here to rescue you. Offering wedding planning, coordination, and wedding floral design services, let us help relieve your stress and make your wedding day dreams a reality. Visit us at christinesmithdesigns.com. That's K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E smithdesigns.com and request a free consultation. You'll be so glad you did. And welcome back, everybody. Today, we have another fantastic guest on the show. She is an author, speaker, and a professional bodybuilder. Welcome to the show, Jules. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm Jules. so glad. Hello. How are you guys? Good. And the other crowd we hear, they go wild for you. <laughs> I heard that. It's like you're like stepping into the Tonight Show or something yes. like that. Guess you didn't know you were going to have a live audience over here. This is fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> well, where in the world are you joining us from today? I am in toasty, warm Texas. <laughs> what part of Texas? Like the South, the North? Texas is a big uh, state, so I've seen. Yeah, isn't it? It takes like eight hours to get across. Um, I'm in the Dallas area. Okay, okay. That's Southern, yeah. right? It's closer uh, to the border. <laughs> I'm, no. so, I'm so off in geography. I don't know. <laughs> he doesn't know geography. So, so. <laughs> it doesn't matter if I tell you anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> he's not going to know. That's okay. You, know, you can tell us where. <laughs> it's a little bit more North. <laughs> oh, okay. What it's the they, North part. I think of yeah. Austin that's South, right? Awesome. Yeah, okay. that's a little bit more south. Okay, yes. that's the one I'm thinking. It's and then the- Houston is even more south. Then maybe it's Houston I'm thinking I of. I think, then. yeah. That could yeah, be. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us all the way from yeah. Texas today. Is that yes. where you've lived for a long time? No, no, no. I am a Midwest girl. I used oh. to live in the Midwest. It's uh, oh. more specific, like Oklahoma, Texas, Tennessee. Um, well, I've, I've learned now it's called the Upper Midwest. Oh. Because, you know, so I lived in um, a state of Wisconsin. So it's the Upper Midwest, which is like, I guess, more cold than, you know, just the Midwest. Yeah. So, yeah. So right next to Minnesota, Minnesota, Wisconsin area. You know, I wouldn't even think to call Wisconsin the Midwest, but I guess it totally yeah. is. For some reason, I think like Midwest is Oklahoma, Kansas, right. Missouri. Yeah. But then what would like you tornado call? Tornado Alley, right? Yeah. But then exactly. what would you call Minnesota and Wisconsin? I guess it is the Midwest. You're mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so happy that you were able to join us today. We've been excited to have you on the show. So out there in Texas, Jules, um, have you lived there for very long? I have. I've been here now about, I want to say about eight years. Oh, wow. Eight whole years. Wow. <laughs> it seems like it's quite a big move from Wisconsin to Texas. What was behind that big move? And it certainly wasn't from Wisconsin to Texas, of course. There's always, you know, the story in between. So, yes, I've, I've lived in multiple states and actually international as well. Okay, okay. Yeah. Internationally, where? Was it one country or multiple oh, countries? gosh. I lived in Bern, Switzerland. Ooh. It was I uh, it was so beautiful. Everything you see on the pictures and the postcards. Matterhorn totally all day, was. huh? <laughs> was, uh, I'm not a big skier. <laughs> At the time I wasn't. Do you but like yes. is there hot, hot cocoa is really popular in uh, Switzerland, right? It is and when and well actually you sit outside and they have blankets. What? And, Yes, because it's you still want to be outside and enjoy. And so the restaurants will actually have seating areas outside and there there's blankets that they're everybody just uses them. And they're also like kind of like a fuzzy fur thing that you sit on. Awesome. Aww. So what yeah. what is like the language that people speak in Switzerland? Um, you know, it has to do the dialect I believe is is primarily, I wanna say oh gosh, I wanna say German primarily. Okay. And that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and around whatever border it is on has a little bit of that. Okay, you, okay. So everything, so the the dialect is a little different everywhere you go within the country, That's which I could only say hello or goodbye <laughs> <laughs> or hot choco, hot cocoa, please. <laughs> what made you decide to move to Switzerland? You know what? I was dating somebody. That's how it starts. Oh, it is. 
love. Follow in yes. love. <laughs> I fell in love. And yeah, I was there for about a year and a half. And so um, with his job at the time, we would fly back to the Minnesota area about every six to eight weeks. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, it was, it wasn't, it, it was, it was really, it was convenient, I should say, because then I never really got that homesick and I didn't lose that much touch with, you know, the people, my friends and such. That's always important too, because yeah. I, I get homesick when I just, you know, go to LA. <laughs> <laughs> the far from yeah. <laughs> yeah. Community is everything. I don't know if I realize that as much as I do now that I'm older. Yeah. You know, if I lived internationally, I would be like that where I would want to come home and visit frequently. Otherwise, I think I would definitely get homesick. And also, I think I would miss like hamburgers. Are, are there good <laughs> hamburgers overseas or are you a meat eater? Maybe I shouldn't assume. Oh, the, yes. They have all the, I mean, of course, all the foods we have here, but they actually call it flesh. What? And well, that so, just sounds weird. That just sounds <laughs> weird right there. And they will serve horse as well. Oh my gosh. So that was a little new. Uh, that was very new actually. But even just little things like when you go to the grocery store, you know, I, I don't, I can usually tell by the label if it's a, a hand washing, you know, soap, or if that happens to be a conditioner, right? I can tell by the label. Well, there, I didn't have that. And oh. so I'd be like, is this soap? Is this conditioner? Is this lotion? I mean, it, it was, a, it was a lot to take in. It's, it's so much more than people think it would be. It's not as glamorous. It's, it's everything that you take for granted, you now have to really focus and work on. I can only imagine like the first time going to order a hamburger and them oh, saying gosh. you want a flesh sandwich. <laughs> I don't think they're like, what, what restaurant are we in right now? <laughs> I'm not sure if it's exactly how they say that. <laughs> Well, that's triple patty th- uh, flush sandwich. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, you know how many people are going to be blowing up my my, my social media? Just no. expecting something. No, well, that. you know, Chris doesn't travel a lot overseas, and so whenever we get individuals on the show that have international experiences, yeah. we like to ask them about you know what it was like living abroad. And do you have a favorite mm. story from living overseas? You know. Living overseas compared to living in the States, um, it's not, I think the States kind of throws everything under one umbrella, right? Where in, you know, in say, um, I'm trying to think of like, even like in Rome, for instance, right? Like, so we just think of like arts and, and, and that sort of stuff, museums, like kind of off to the side. Well, when you're in Rome, not being funny, but when you're in Rome, you literally can see the pieces of history as you're driving through the city, you know, the, like the Colosseum, you can see it from a si- on the side. You know, there's, it's just, a, it's really, it's really odd. It's odd. For, it was odd for me to go over there and be like, this is like almost ancient, like history. Right. My, yeah. I took my son to Rome, uh, well, to a couple of different places in Europe, just pre-pandemic the summer before. Ah, and okay. we stayed in a hotel in the same square as the Pantheon. And I remember we would just come down from our air-conditioned hotel, grab a little thing of gelato, and literally walk 10 feet. And we're staring at this thousands-of-year-old building with all these cobblestones around it. And I'm thinking, this is so bizarre. You know, I would say if I was yeah. there, I would say they don't make them like they used to. 
<laughs> and they don't. I mean, and, and also like the numbers on things. I was like, is that like the house number? You know, they're like, no, that is when that was built. And I was like, <laughs> what? It's like, it, it, it is, it's surreal. It's almost like you've gone back into time. Mm-hmm. And but it's all it's also very you know modern as well. I really enjoyed Rome. I thought it was very beautiful. Oh, it is I really so gorgeous. I say to my mm-hmm. sister who went with us all the time, like I would go back in a heartbeat. Yeah, for any reason to Italy. It was I also so gorgeous. hear that uh, Greece is very similar. Some places in Greece are like that, right? You know, I haven't been to Greece either. Okay. I hear like that. Oh, yeah. I hear. Well, we, I'm also my my husband and I. We sail, so we are looking forward to being over in the Mediterranean. Oh, I bet. And yeah. Experiencing some of those beautiful areas. So, do you sail? Do you, you guys own a boat, or right now we're in between, actually. Ooh. In between yeah. boats, huh? Yep, yep. Um, as you mentioned, like COVID and in, in the pandemic, um, in the beginning, we actually used the boat as a fabulous getaway <laughs> from all the chaos of the unknown, you know, all right. the uncertainties we went through. And so that was just our little like sanctuary of sanity. Um, and then, of course, everybody else was buying boats. And so we thought, it's time, you know, we will be selling our boat within a year anyway. Let's go ahead and, and move that forward. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we sold her early. What, yeah. what size of a boat was it? Um, she was a 55-foot um, monohull. That's, yes. a, that's a big yeah. one, right? It's like the double motor one or whatever, right? Um, so there's a monohull and there's also a catamaran. So mm-hmm. catamarans are the ones that have those two hulls that go into the water. Mm-hmm. And a monohull has just one that goes into the water. And so those are the boats you see that are leaning way over. Right. So, okay. So that's the type of boat this one was. Got it. Look at that. Yep. That sounds so incredible. Like that's something (laughs) that I always have admired people that know how to operate sailboats in the water because they just seem like, I don't know. I see the regattas and things out here in San Diego (laughs) when we look at the bay because we're located in San Diego County. And Mm -hmm. I look at people that are captaining these different sailboats and I'm thinking that's a whole different level of skills that I just don't think I'm equipped with. But I admire that though, being able to sail, not to use actual like engine power. You think about how they did that so uh, many years yes. ago. Yeah. Uh, everywhere they went was by sail. Mm-hmm. And think about the, you know, the, uh, you know, original explorers, how yeah. they sailed across yeah. the Atlantic around the world. And all, the pirates. <laughs> of course, and the pirates too. All by wind and that, not even no engines, no gas, no yeah. nothing. Yes. And my husband and I have done quite a bit of sailing. I've got about, I've got my day skipper certificate, which means that I can sail that boat by myself. Ooh, look at you. I can't, I just can't have paying passengers. Um, and I've got about, uh, probably like 3,500 miles under my belt. Wow. Of sailing, um, open water. That's amazing. Sailing. That's gotta be scary. Open, like when you can't see land. Oh, you can't see land. That's gotta be the scariest thing ever. I've seen so many movies. <laughs> uh, what's that's the, the we, problem. What's the one we just saw with the girl that got stranded? The one she went to, um, yeah. the one, the girl's from San Diego. Uh, yes. What was that called? Adrift. Adrift. Oh, yes. the one you showed me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. My uh-huh. husband made us watch that on the boat. Oh my no goodness! No way. Were you out to see what I mean? Yes, we were out <laughs> to see. Whoa! Yeah, I was like, this is not funny. No. And then, yes. And there was another one with uh, Robert Redford about ten years ago. Another one who was in a small yacht. Same thing happened. Okay. Um, got a got shipwrecked or something. It was a whole survival thing. Well, we're going to talk about all oh, of the positive stuff. I'm with sorry. <laughs> I, find fa- I find it very fascinating, and that's one of the reasons why I won't go open water like ever. <laughs> it's this magnificent, is, it's, and it is the most 
it is the most, I think, serene thing you can ever experience. There well, is so, it, it's probably my favorite place to be. Well, Chris loves to watch all of those like worst case scenario types of movies like no, the boat no. crashes. Uh, what's the one locked up abroad? <laughs> oh, that's a different story altogether. Yeah, that, like that, that's the cocaine in my backpack and, and they pulled me into secondary and I'm screwed. Kinda. So this is why he doesn't travel overseas very much. So we live vicariously through the podcast. I think that might be a podcast. good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Keep him home. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've had a, a recent life of adventure, but um, in yeah. reading your biography, it seems like you've overcome quite a bit in your life. And so we'd love to hear a little bit about your story of uh, what you've overcome to get to the point of where you are today. Uh, all in a nutshell. Let's see. Um <laughs> You know, as I spoke of, I was I was born and raised in the Midwest, and this is you know back in the seventies, and and I mentioned that because it, the resources were so limited, especially for women, mm-hmm. and you know I I, it, I lived in a very very small town. I mean, we lived outside of town, it, so um, and my mom just you know she worked at a an, an insurance agency and just minimum wage, and my dad was you know was kind of, we, we we struggled right. Mm-hmm. It was just. It was just that small town mentality, um, but my my dad also um, struggled with the disease of alcoholism, oh. and um, so he would go through you know fits that ultimately happened with that disease, and you know struggling to financially provide for his family. I couldn't imagine how devastating that must have been, and so alcohol was the answer to that a lot of times, and. Um, so one thing in particular that really kind of shot us off um, onto our journeys was one evening my dad came home in one of these, um, I guess one of these fits, and um, he had it planned that he was going to do a family suicide. Oh my gosh! And I was six, <gasps> and so and I loved my daddy. I adored my daddy. He took me everywhere. I mean, I. I was never separate from him. Mm -hmm. And so I never saw that side. And so when all of this chaos is happening at late hours of the night, I'm just like, what, wait, why, what, what's going on? And, you know, I pretty much like grab my Grover, if you remember him, Uh Grover by the hand. And, you know, yep, yep. And my mom and I, we, we fled off into the night, you know, and it was like, wait, what's, what's happening? Right. You know, thank God. Nobody died that night. Oh, thank God. Nobody didn't. Nobody. My, you know, I, I totally believe in a, in a source, this power bigger than me. And um, it, the phone happened to ring and I can't see that as coincidence. And right. it happened to be one of my dad's friends mm. and it allowed my mom enough time to, to grab me <laughs> and uh, fly out the back door. So, so yeah, that's kind of how life started and in, in, in a lot of confusion, Right. And, and so, you know, and, and I'm, I've, through my healing, I've been able to kind of go back and put my feet in my mom's shoes and be like, wow, what was it like to have those options as choices? What would have I done? Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so when she, within a six month window, remarried into a very large family, it wasn't surprising. This is a woman who made minimum wage. Right. And we know that dad wasn't going to be able to help us. In fact, we now had a restraining order. He was no longer to be near us. Oh, wow. And so we moved into this really large family, one of six kids I became. And and, and I, I just got lost. How was that transition for you when you went into that larger family going from where you were at? 
adjusting? You know, it, I think scary is one, right? Because it, I was an only child before and I was adored actually as an right, only yeah. child. And now I'm part of a pack who nobody knows me. And, and in fact, they're kind of like, why is she here? Oh, you know? And yeah. so it's, it, it was, it was really like, okay, so this is supposed to be my family. Um, but one cool thing about it is that there was a younger brother who is my age and through, you know, I think that was the saving grace. Like, you know, we were two peas in a pod at that Aww. point in time. And so then we just, you know, that's pretty much what got me through my adolescence um, in that family. And that's also where, you know, a lot of trauma happened. Um, th- that whole family was very incestuous and um, did not stop when I moved in, when my mom and I moved in. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. And I learned that went way back into the, like the grandparents, you know, it, it, it just, as we know, that sort of um, toxic behaviors is, is a learned behavior. And was, was that when you were in uh, the mid- Midwest area, the Minnesota area? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I just I just didn't know if that was maybe a, a thing that happens in that area. I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if it's a thing because I do believe it happens everywhere. But I do have to think that when you limit people's resources, and you know what I'm saying? Like when you kind of uh, confine people that they don't have the exposure to life outside, they don't, you know, if there is a problem, they're not quickly to pick up the phone and say, I need to get some help or some counseling, you know? And, and, and so, and I also think that when you don't have a lot of diversity in one area, you just follow the pack. Right. That's all you kind of know. That's all you know. And I'm, and I'm by all means not stating that everybody in the Midwest has this sort of toxic behavior. No, but you do hear like there's always those running like rumor, like running, I say like, um, nothing. Well, there's instances. Yeah. Yeah. There's always Mm -hmm. kind of like the backhanded, like, oh, they're from the South or the the Midwest or, or, or whatever. And that's kind of what they do over there, you know? Um, well, so moving, Beyond the details of, you know, where it happens, I'm just thinking of you as this, you know, six or seven year old going through trauma with your father who you idolized and now kind of getting lost in the shuffle. Um, And I think of, you know, being an educator, the amount of trauma that that would evoke in your life. How did that impact you at a young age? You know, the what comes to mind is the way that we moved into a trailer, like a mobile home. And the way it was set up is then my mom, who is really the only person I have, mm-hmm. like in connection to me, has literally moved herself to the front of this trailer because that's where that master bedroom was. And all the kids got packed in the back. So physically now I'm removed from my mom. Mm-hmm. And so and 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 so now I I, I, the people who I'm living with, right. The, the kids, right. Again, they're not real fond that I'm there. You know, this, this, you know, this abuse is starting to take place. I don't even know who I could tell if I could tell somebody, I, do I supposed to tell somebody? I mean, it was, it, it, it was a lot. And so really what I did is I just shut down. Oh wow! I shut down and I went in and, and I'll look at pictures of me and I am this I just look at this little curl and my heart just, just drops is like, I'm just a small little blonde headed, like pale skinned little girl. And my head's kind of, you know, I'm kind of like, my head's kind of dropped down and it's just like, oh my gosh, it's, but that was safe for me. 
Right. You know, my, my, the, my now new, you know, stepfather, he was very overwhelming and, 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 um, very, um, domineering. And so he would, um, you know, tell the kids, you know, like we had these really tight regiments we had to do, like the food on the table had to go in a certain direction. And, you know, you had to ask to be excused. And, you know, there was just all of these rules, rules, rules. And so it was best for me just to stay out of the light. Mm. And that's what I did. And, and it, and it worked. So that pattern of making yourself small, almost invisible so that you fly under the radar. Did that follow with you through adolescence and your teenage years? Absolutely. It did. You know, there was a time moving ahead, um, probably when, um, I must have been around like, say, 10, 11, 12, right in that area. And I went to a YMCA camp. Mm. And this is where everything changed. So now I've got, you know, a few years under my belt with this family. I've kind of found my spot and know what to do and not do. And so I went to this camp and I did not know that you don't supposed to tell that kind of stuff. And so here I am amongst all these fantastic girls who are my age and they're laughing with me and they're joking with me and we're playing. And, and of course the counselors are there and they're doing their therapy. And, and, and so when the question came up, I was like, I just let it all out. Mm. And that ultimately we know that, you know, the, the counselor, they're, they're required to report that to right. the authorities. Right, she knows because she's told me the same thing with her job. Mandated reporters, yep. yeah. Yep. I didn't go home. <gasps> I was taken out of the home that night by the authorities. Oh, my word. And so I lived at um, one of those counselors' home. And she was recently divorced, and she was on her, her wild streak, we'll <gasps> say. And so there was a lot of drinking. There was a lot of men. I'm now, you know, in that puberty stage. The only skills I really know how to use to get the love and attention is being promiscuous. Oh, wow. And so, and these are older men. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is, there's no shame, I guess. But, and so then, you know, when this, once this all happened, you know, that my, the family unit then came apart. Ultimately, my mom filed for a divorce. We moved back to the Midwest because of the connections with the family. And at this point in time, at the, I'm at that ninth grade level. Oh, wow. And so now I'm growing up a little bit. I'm feeling a little bit of my power, right? Because that's what I learned at this household. And so then now you move me back into a very small, um, a small town again. And I'm too big for the town, um, you know, and nobody, this is not, I'm not getting a great welcome. And um, I was uh, enrolled, I did high school. And so it was ninth grade and must've been like a quarterly check-in type of thing. And so the counselor there, you know, called me in and said, you know, Jules, remember this is in ninth grade. He Mm -hmm. says, I don't think you're going to be very successful here. He says, I really think we should look into maybe getting you a GED. What? Like they want to get you out of the school? Like away from everybody else kind of thing? Exactly. Oh, my gosh. My Okay, so I was a high school administrator, Jules. So like I'm literally, uh, if you were in the room with me, I'm like holding my heart right now because that just makes me think of that ninth grade year is such a formative year and you're just trying to like wrestle Mm. with your identity and your voice and who you are in the world. And for somebody to speak that over Mm. your life as if it's truth, that must have I mean, maybe at the time you didn't realize it, but that must have been devastating to you. Actually, at the time, it was the t- 
ticket out of jail. Oh. Now I have nobody telling me what I have to do, what I don't have to do. Because this this household, again, is like, you know, my mom is still, you know, she's still very domineering. And, you know, and now it's like, I don't have to listen to anybody. And I don't have to do things that I don't want to do anymore. And so I literally hit the streets. Like ran away from home? Ran away from home. Oh, my goodness. So At, like 14, uh, well, 15? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Did you have 14. anybody support at all, anybody you could go to when you were on the streets? No, I didn't because I didn't go to family. Most people would think, you know, you'd go live with a family member or something. But again, that midtown or that, you know, mid Midwestern mindset, that's, I mean, my family is pretty much like, we're, we're not going to deal with her. You know, I, I raged a lot. I was a very angry child at this point. Right. You know, I can, I can all, imagine. I mean, gosh. absolutely. All of this is coming up and better yet, I don't want to be around you. And so I had friends who didn't know my story, who liked me for who I was. I mean, I slept in the closet of one of my girlfriends mm. for like three months. Wow. Yeah. So, and I called that heaven. <laughs> so you were like couch surfing, closet yeah. surfing, whatever, wherever you could go, just kind of flitting with the wind. And so how did you – I was going to say, how did you get out of that lifestyle? But I'm making an assumption that you did soon. Uh, what was the next 10 years of your life like? The couch surfing then shifted to, now remember that my currency is my permis- my being promiscuous. Right. right. That's my currency. And so this is what I've been told I'm good at. This is when I get the love and attention that I need. Heck, I even get a roof over my head. Right. Right. And so this is my currency. And so then I started shifting from relationship to relationship to relationship. And this went on for 19 years. How long was the relationships usually lasting? The last, I actually pulled out my taxes because, you know, thank goodness um, there's blackouts in my story. Right. Um, uh, There, the last three years I had moved 13 times. Wow. That's like once every 12 weeks. That's crazy. So that just tells me that is the spiraling of meeting somebody, you know, exploding and being kicked out. <laughs> wow. like but by the time it all kind of ramps up, it ramps, yeah. you know. Yeah. Wow, it's nuts. Yeah. And when, we don't back, mean that in a, a, a mean way. It's just for us, you know, trying to get an understanding of your story because like where you've come – who you are today, if people didn't sit down and listen to this story, they wouldn't know all of that about you. Mm-hmm. So no. how long did it take for you to emerge from this what what transient lifestyle? Is that what you would call it? Yeah, in a cycle. Mm-hmm. It was really just a cycle because it the people changed. The story stayed the same. Mm. Right. And so and and ultimately I'm I'm a, a child of, of trauma. Now in the disease of alcoholism. Mm, so that's what so pulled you, went, you in. Yeah. You, mm-hmm. you pulled into alcoholism also? Because alcohol has been part of my story way back to when I was like a baby mm-hmm. sitting in a high chair. I have beer in my bottle. Oh, did you wow. really? Did your parents- I did. But this is back when you would put a little bit of, you know, whiskey or whatever on the kid's gum. To kind of get them to, to calm down or whatever. Settle them down. Yes. So, you know, so, but, but alcohol, like, you know, people think, oh, party and have a great time. It's like alcohol was my solution. Alcohol made me feel normal enough 
that I could be around other people because inside of me, I have this boiling pot and it's always boiling at maybe a medium. Mm-hmm. And so if you can imagine, you go through life, you hit these bumps, you know, things heat up. Well, I'm already at 50%. Wow. So I, I, I very much I, explosive, explosive, explosive. Wow. That's just, yeah. it just seems so heavy to walk through all of that. How did you, did it really not affect you or did it feel heavy on your life throughout all of that time? Towards the end, um, I got to the point where I remember telling my mom, I'm just, I'm tired of starting over. I'm so tired. It's like everything I tried just would fall through my fingers, you know, it, it, everything. And, and the funny thing is, is that all I wanted to do was just have my independence, I just wanted to get a job, get my career so I could get my feet underneath me so I could have my own, then I wanted a condo, right? My own condo, my own car, and then everybody could just leave me alone, right? So I have seven transcripts. Wow. (laughs) So one of the things I have learned in this lifetime is resilience. (laughs) Yeah, I can imagine. It sounds like you had all of the conditions that would make you like I think of your your name Jules and it's like how does a jewel develop it's like pressure and Mm -hmm. out of like the depths of the earth it's you know surrounded by heat and pressure so you definitely like you had said before the interview not just one jewel but multiple jewels yeah (laughs) you've you've had enough fire and pressure on you for a lifetime but exactly uh, so you know just thinking through as you navigated this journey for yourself Uh, One of the things that came to my mind is so many people when they're battling um, any type of addiction or um, substance abuse challenges, they talk about hitting like a single rock bottom that helped them kind of come to their senses about needing to change. Did you have that one defining rock bottom or was it a series of events that led you to want to change your life? You know, I found, (laughs) I I jokingly now say, I just kind of, you know, I bounced around on the bottom. I think there was probably three good hits, three good hits that I barely got out of. Um, And, you know, the thing is, is that the delusion of the disease, I believe, or the delusion of my state will stay, is that I could not see that I was the problem. I could not see that I had all of this stuff inside of me. I just kept pushing, like, you know, endlessly pushing forward with that goal of like, well, I can get it this time. I can get that job this time. And Mm. I mean, it pretty much took those three hard knocks, you know, and, and the last knock, it was, I, I, I moved here to, to Texas and and uh, I was uh, dating somebody and I happened to be in the car with some of their friends while they were at work and we were going to meet them when they were, d- when, when he was done. And so what um, I did just nonchalantly, I just said, I just wish I didn't drink so much. Hmm. And the two people in the front seat, little did I know they're both in recovery. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So they, yes. know, they know that very well then. They know a hot mess when they see one. That's what I've been thinking. <laughs> right. <laughs> and at that minute, I think there is within a 30-minute window, I was sitting in the chairs in recovery. Wow. Now, was that you decided to go or they took you there unwillingly? 
I think it was one of those, Jules, we're going to go do this. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you coming? You coming, Jules? We're going to go here. Exactly. Like, cause it's like, I'm kind of done fighting at right. this state. You know, we call it the gift of desperation. Mm-hmm. Y- you just get to this point where you're like, your hands, you just throw them in the air. You're like, man, it's like that, the, the, the human soul only has so much hope. Right. right. And so, and I'm, and I'm very mindful of that when I interact with others, you know? Um, but I, you know, I went into this really smoky, gross, disgusting room. You know, the thing of an alcoholic is that we will be, you know, on skid row and, you know, we'll, we'll look at somebody and say, well, geez, look what they're wearing. Or, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, we are always like judging people and we're the ones who are in the worst case scenario. Oh yeah. Um, but, but that, that day, I sat down in that cold metal chair and I don't remember anything that was said. All I remember is that it just, there was a lot of people there. So it did feel really like congested, but it was the first time that tears came to my eyes in probably 10 to 12 years. Wow. And what do you think that the source of those tears was? Was it relief or was it anger? I actually... I think what it was is that it's the first time I felt that love in the room. Mm. And it is maybe only love of friendship. Maybe it was the love of that community. But I hadn't had that kind of love because where I came from and, and all of those moves and all of those situations and scenarios – I picked up weapons as defenses, right? Right. I would pick up layers and layers and layers of armor to protect me as I continued to, you know, move forward. And so, you know, at that time, um, I, I then, that was it. Whatever happened in that room, I'm like, I, I want to go back. I, I want to go back to whatever that is. Mm-hmm. And so um, I went to another meeting the next day. And the next day, and the thing that it almost kind of makes me cry to think of it, but the, the thing that made me keep going back, it, it was that first off, I was welcome. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. At, at this point in time, there was not many places I was welcome back. Right. And it was the women who gave me hugs. That is the first that was the only like micro inch, I guess, of love that I could receive. And it sounds like they saw you. And I think it goes back to part of your origin story where you were talking about making yourself small mm-hmm. um, to kind of avoid being pulled into the drama and the trauma that surrounded you. You're finally put into a situation where people, not only do they see you for who you really are, but they're reserving judgment and mm-hmm. they're providing empathy, love, and some type of nurturing to help you grow. That must have felt I would have I would think that it would be frightening and exhilarating at the same time. Like, oh my gosh, they see the real me. Am I gonna get rejected? But mm-hmm. also, wow, what is this new thing? And that almost it it's like you want to get closer to it. Did you mm-hmm. feel like you toggled between those two sets of emotions, like fear and um, excitement that entire time through your recovery? And a lot of anger. Oh, yeah. And that was part of it. So I think it was kind of almost like on a layer, like layers, right? So because now we've we've taken away my Band-Aid. 
I, I no longer can have my solution to life. Oh, right. So now I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. I'm not doing anything. And so now I'm raw. And so the whole world feels like pricklies hitting me. I mean, people would glance at me and I would be offended mm-hmm. because I couldn't numb out of that. And then it got to, you know, and, and, and that I think is the most magnificent thing about the, the rooms of recovery is that there are all these different walks of life and we all come together with one common interest and it's to help that person like who I was come in there. I mean, I was, there were times I would lash out in the middle of a meeting. I mean, I would swear I would wear the wrong clothing. I mean, I was just, I was just a hot mess. Mm -hmm. And they said, Jules, we'll see you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Come back. We're going to see you tomorrow. You're still welcome. You know, even through all that. Where do I didn't even have that with my own family. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, who are these people? And so I did. And, and I just kept doing it. And then, you know, I'm very, you know, I'm very focused. And so I'm like, I'm not going to drink. Absolutely not. Have no intentions. And the one story I love to tell is they, you know, they say, you know, you're going to find something a little bigger than yourself there, girl, because y- you're not it. It's not working. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, they, they have various, you know, options, I guess, that y- you can use to connect to this source. And if if you think, you know, Texas heat where it's probably like August or something, we're well above the hundreds, you know, it's hot, it's muggy. And I came out of one of these meetings and out of nowhere was this gust of wind and it whished around and actually kind of lifted my hair off my shoulders and it made me stop in my tracks. And I was like, there's nobody who can make the wind blow. That's source. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, from that moment, I was like, okay, I have a source. I have this. I can do this. And so then it was the warmth of the sun on my skin. It was the clean air. It was the water. I mean, I took in like all the basic elements. Mm-hmm. And I just started incorporating them into my life. If that was drawing them, writing about them, whatever. Well, it sounds like that's something that's continued through your life when you were talking about sailing a few minutes ago and yes. the open ocean. I know that for me, when I was coming out of my first marriage, which um, had abuse involved in it, I found that I was really drawn to water and mm-hmm. I would sit by creeks where I could hear the water. Uh, when I moved down to San Diego in the evenings, I would sit on the beach so that I could hear the waves. And for some reason, I don't know what it is about certain elements of nature. I think it's just so basic and simple that it just kind of anchors you back into, There's a I calming don't know. with it too. I yeah. Really. I don't, the sound mm-hmm. of it, uh, especially with the ocean, especially being like the open water, like you're saying, Jules, is we have the sloshing of the boat and sloshing of the water up against mm-hmm. the side of the, uh, the boat and the splashing and the simple, just the simpleness of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I bet that really helps. You know, and I believe there's also like a scientific basis here that mm-hmm. there are the ions exchange with our radicals opposed to what the ocean is. Mm-hmm. And that's why every time we go to the beach or people get real sleepy or real like relaxed or mm-hmm. because on a chemical chemical level, we're actually, you know, finding our, um, our, our, you know, like our balance in a sense. Right. So yes, the ocean is, is definitely so healing so, so healing. And so you anchored into that through your recovery. Um, did you have favorite places that you would go when you were feeling a little bit out of sorts or was it just 
being in nature in general would help reground you? Really in the beginning, I couldn't be by myself. Mm. And I say that because my head was too busy. Oh, yeah. Um, that's very, very common. We, you know, we call it chatter or monkey mind or whatever it may be. And so for me, probably that first year, I worked a lot. I worked in healthcare. And so that would knock out 12 hours of my day. And then I would then go to a meeting, which would be another hour. And before mm -hmm. I know it, well, it's time to go to bed. Right. You know, so that's how it started. But then it was started to like mine started like with like I'd done yoga, you know, like that kind of stuff. I was always into like the meditative type of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and so I started, you know, listening to, you know, guided meditations. You know, I, I you know, researched and learned about gems and stones you know, I just, it, it just, wherever I went, wherever I just kind of went with a flow of, of whatever felt good and that I knew was good for me. Jules, how many years did you go through that process of getting sober? Yeah. I think the first year is a physical sobriety. Mm. You physically clean your body. The second year is where it becomes like a mental this is where you really start working through and you're looking at the, the messes you've made or things you want to clean up. And then around that third year, that's when the spirituality starts coming in. Mm -hmm. This is where you start having some wisdom, a peace of mind, the tranquility, the, you know, that serenity that we seek. Um, for me, my recovery, I guess, is it's ongoing because I have, there's so many layers, right? Like we talk about an onion peeling back. And, and I think that's how healing is no matter what. So, you know, I'm grateful that I'm very far from the date that we're talking about right now, but there are still times where something will rear its ugly head and I'll be like, oh, you are back. <laughs> and it's like, yes, I am. Because now in this situation, it's a little different. You know, and so then I need to learn through something different at this current time. So I don't know if you ever really or I will ever really fully recover, but I never crave. I don't crave alcohol. That's good. That's yeah. Good I, I don't have any of those sorts of symptoms. Um, now I think it's just practicing being a human. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. definitely. Uh, um, That's me, hard. <laughs> yeah. You and me both. I also had uh, not quite as extreme as uh, your situation, but I had my struggles with alcohol and, you know, some drugs too. And I, um, you know, I, I, yeah, I am sober today, you know, and um, like I don't even really crave it either. Um, in fact, now when I do drink alcohol, if I if I do, it uh, makes me feel very ill. Yeah, you mm. get very sick the next day, and I think my body is rejecting it. Now. Yeah, I think it's kind of rejected that whole because I haven't drank it that much, you know, or hardly any. That my when I do it, just it, even it's like one drink, it, it's like it's me numb, headache, and I don't feel that very well. So it's my body saying, "Nope, not for you anymore." Yeah, <laughs> you know, stop this. Let's not do this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. So with that journey, you know, you're working your steps, working your recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, where did that lead you in terms of love? Because it seemed like a lot of what you went through was this seeking attachment and seeking healthy love. Where where are you at with that now? That was probably one of the biggest things I had to learn um, because the lack of trust, I mean, zero <laughs> trust in other people um, left me on my own. And so um, I 
what I would do is a lot of um, internal stuff, like a lot of meditation. I would, you know, really tap into this source, you know, like whatever that was. And, and so that's where I found a lot of that love and connection was actually just learning who I was, right? That was very, very fulfilling to me. You know, I had learned that I'm a good person with a bad disease, you know, right. those sorts of things that just warmed my heart because I don't have to be that warrior anymore, right? Like I don't have to fight those battles anymore. And so now as, you know, as I move ahead, you know, I, I remember, you know, I was five years sober and I had my first best friend. It was the first girlfriend that I trusted enough to tell her one of my, one of my secrets, we'll say, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, but you know, that was five years into it. Um, and even, you know, coming forward now again, like this onion I spoke of a bit about a bit ago about is like, we're peeling back, you know? And so when I met, um, my now husband, you know, oh my gosh, that was a whole new episode of life. And, right. and, and it's, sh it's, sh it just really shook a lot of my foundation because, oh my God, you're a man. And now you want me to do what and give you this and, and meet you halfway here. And, you know, there was actually a point in time where the, the chatter, right. I tell him about the chatter. I'm at, mm -hmm. I'm at a stage where I can actually, you know, express that I'm having some really you know difficult feelings right now. Um, and I would wake up in the morning and he would bring my coffee in and, and he would put a little post-it note down. And so I'd kind of wake up to that smell of the coffee and then post-it note would say, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and he, he's like, I am going to outlive those tapes. Yeah. I'm going to do whatever it takes until you understand that I am not going anywhere. How did that feel for you, Jules, to have somebody show up for you like that in the way that you'd always dreamt you would be loved? Scared the crap out of me. Yeah, I can imagine. It scared you just because you're afraid it's going to be too good to be true and it's going to disappear oh. like that. Now, keep in mind, I've been – how many years now I've seen, you know, um, wolf in sheep clothing, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. Yes. So, you know, you're always like, eh, you know, you're feeling the room out. You're like, mm, something's a little shady here, you know, and now here comes Prince Charming. Oh, oh yeah. and all of this fab like you are like really going over the top here. Like I can't <laughs> even I can't even detect a flaw. You know, but again, during the beginning of the marriage, I also needed to learn about a lot about me. You know, like how is it to cohabitate with somebody at this mm -hmm. level of sobriety? Right? You know, and and there's been times even in the last, I would say probably the last 3 years, I can say that we can throw away the post-it notes. That didn't come overnight. And I actually, I, I had asked um, Source in one of my evening conversations before going to bed um, for my, my husband. And I, I had said, you know, I know that you know me better than anybody, but if it's, if it's in my highest and best, I would really love to find somebody I could fall head over heels in love with. <laughs> and, um, and it was like in a two-week window. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And looking back, I, I know I wouldn't have picked him because he has so much patience with me. I, I wouldn't even, I mean, I wouldn't even known that I needed that much patience mm. as I grew through this. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that, Chris? Patience with your, with your wife. I understand. I, oh, I, that I, you have the patience for me? I thought you were saying that I have endless patience for you. Oh, maybe both. Maybe both. <laughs> I have endless patience for you. I was thinking that because he said things like that to me before about like, 
gosh, you put up with a lot from me and your mom. That is true. And your that mom says true. that to me oh, all the time. Oh, she always says that. Mom always says that. <laughs> She's like, know? thank you so much for, you know, putting up with my son. I'm like, yeah, oh. you're welcome. <laughs> thank you for recognizing yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you're welcome. It is, you know, it is a service. <laughs> oh, <laughs> service. <laughs> Just teasing. You know, I love you. Uh-huh. But yeah, I could see how that's definitely a journey. I think of my own emerging from the um, complicated past that I had in my previous marriage and how you come out from situations of trauma very wounded and how mm-hmm. there's there comes this point where you have to just really grapple with being able to believe what you are worthy of and that it's okay to hope and it's okay to you know wish that you would have that partner that will show up for you and then when it does happen getting like Chris was saying getting past that mindset of it's too good to be true or it's all going to go away or like you had said Jules that it's a wolf in sheep's clothing mm-hmm. to actually have that stick around and to grow in your life do you still wake up some days and be like geez this is like the best thing ever <laughs> I do have the moments of like, I'm visiting, mm-hmm. like, this is not my life, is it? Like so many times, because they tell us in recovery that, you know, it's pretty much um, when you started drinking is how old you are, oh, right? Yeah. It's like the maturity rate, right? So, okay. It's like, okay, well, I'm sitting at 15 right now. So I'm like, <laughs> like 15 years old, right? So mm-hmm. sometimes I'm like, is this even possible? And, and, and because again, I still have my old um, behaviors of things like, well, I only should have two pairs of shoes, one for school and one for mm-hmm. off, after school, right? Well, no, you can, you can, you can have more than two pairs of shoes. So it's like, I, I have to kind of unlearn things sometimes. And sometimes, you know, it's just like, oh my gosh, I would have never guessed. And I call these my perfect moments. I'll be sitting in the car maybe, you know, my husband's driving and I'll be like, oh, I'm like, I'm having a perfect moment. Mm-hmm. And he'll be like, what is it? I'm like, my tummy's full. The, you know, this is a beautiful car. I got my best friend next to me. We're Aww. going here and the sun is out, you know? I love and we're that. like, okay, it's a perfect moment. <laughs> I, I start love using that. that now. I love that. Yes, they're like little moment. gratitude moments, I think. <laughs> now with the story and the life that you've led, Jules, it sounds like you have a lot of wisdom and um, – like you said, resilience to be able to share forward with others. I was reading in your bio that you wrote a memoir, co-authored a memoir about your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how it might support our listeners? Ah, yes, absolutely. Now, keep in mind, during this uh, upbringing, um, we certainly did not go to church. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And we didn't have any sort of like connection or anything greater than the family I was in. And so now that I am on this side, I've really grown this, you know, this, this attachment. And so I'm very mindful of what comes at me and if it resonates with me. Right. And so, um, you know, throughout the years, I had, you know, you have a story like mine and I'm telling you, you, you tell somebody and they'll be like, girl, you got to write a book. I think it's like, that's what you hear right away. And so it's, you know, the intention has been set for many years. And, um, and in fact, the title of the book was actually something that came to me in a meditation. Um, and so, you know, it, it just happened to be as, as things help happen in my life is one thing happened, this one moved and this, this, and then the perfect person came. And so that's when I met Marlena and it was right when the lockdown started, right? Everybody's kind of in the panic. I'm like, well, 
She's like, yeah, we can put this together in about six months. Wow. Wow. And I was like, let's do this. And so I, I did kind of what we're doing right now. You know, she, she, of course we weren't in the same room. And so every week we would meet and I would tell her, I would start where I left off the week before and her having similar background, um, was able to bring in words that, that I did not know how to express. Mm-hmm. Right. And the cool thing about the book is because I didn't want it to be another one of those. Wonk, 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 wonk. Yeah. You know, I didn't want it to be, a, there's, there's already enough trauma in the world. I really don't want to, you know, sprinkle anymore. You know, it's like, I wanted this to be inspiring yet. I didn't want to fluff it up. I mean, this is the real stuff. And so what we found is that if we stayed in what I call the language of the heart, and so what that is, is like when I say the word, you know, fear or terrified, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Or if I say joyful and exciting and you're like, oh my God, yeah, that's fabulous. Mm-hmm. You know what this feels like, you know? And so this is the, this is the line that I navigated throughout, through this timeline. So I'll, I give bits and pieces as we go, but what it is, is I'm taking the reader along with me in, in me in my emotions. Mm. So as I talk about walking up the stairs, you know, the dark stairs from the basement, you know, and you pretty much, oh, you can feel like, oh my gosh, is there going to be something like a hand or something coming through? Or So we just described a lot of the emotions that I felt going through this. Um, and, and there were some chapters, oh, they were so tough. They were so, so tough. Um, a couple of them, of course, you know, social media is fabulous mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes it's not so fabulous. And so there's a couple times that I couldn't put this, this, the timeline together. I had a couple breaks. And so I would get online and I would see the people who I have only seen as a child. I see them as an adult today. Oh, wow. And that, that was startling. So to pull up, you know, Facebook or whatnot and to see you know, that person, where that person is today and be like, and then to feel all those feelings and then have this up, like this feeling come up is like, and you can't do anything to me anymore. I'm an adult now too. Was it anger anger or sadness or or a combination of both when you saw those images? Uh, In the beginning, I think it was that little girl, right? That little, and then it was just this huge like liberation of like, you know what, baby? I'm a big girl now too. So you can't hurt me anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Was it interesting to see what they were doing though in life? Like, oh, look, the guy's a doctor. That guy's a whatever, or whatever they're doing. Or was it or just like, oh, I knew he would be up mountain nothing. So there he is. The same thing as when we left. Yeah. Yeah. Even worse. I mean, so, so yeah, I did not, I, it, I, I definitely got out alive. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So for this book that you, wrote that is your story, uh, when was it officially published or has it been? It has. And she kind of has an entity of her own. So you'll hear me reference that. Um, The book's name is The Making of a Woman from the Inside Out. And she was released in October of last year. 21. Wow. And so do you go around and speak to people around the topic of your book or how do you promote it? You know, we got a, I got a publicist when we first started this. And so a lady out of California just took it off the rails. And so we did, you know, we did book launch parties. We did a lot of online stuff. We did giveaways. Um, and of course, you know, we, you know, have like, uh, 
um, like meet and greets online. And so I got to meet all these different people. And, you know, I was just thinking, this is going to be other women who have been in my shoes. And I was totally surprised when men were coming to me saying, well, this is why my wife does this. Or the moms who saying, that's why my daughter does this. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was just like, wow, I didn't expect all of this sort of response. And one of the things that was fantastic is that she is a two-time award-winning memoir oh, at wow. this stage. That's yes. amazing. Yes. So it was uh, humbling to write that. Um, I had a, I had a little bit of growth, little, <laughs> little, uh, little growth uh, cycle to go through, but to, to put a book out like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's been amazing. It would seem that you have to dig deep to be able to get to the point where you can share your story with that much vulnerability and transparency. Did that have any impact on your sobriety or were you able to stay pretty steady and grounded throughout that whole book development process? You know, this is a great question because when I got into recovery, again, I had all this armor on. The last thing I ever imagined was to become vulnerable. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I saw the word serenity on the wall and I was thinking, do you not know where I just came from? Right. Like, I'm not surrendering to anything. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so to write, you know, one of the things that that being in the rooms like that does is that, you, you know, you, you share a little bit, you share about a day, you share. But what happened is, is you're practicing this vulnerability. And so then, you know, after, you know, again, like I lived overseas and I've lived in different parts of the country where, you know, then you become a guest speaker. They have you come in, they come and tell your story. So you practice all the time about showing this, this vulnerable side. And then you show how, what you did about it, what, you know, what, what are the outcomes of it? Mm -hmm. So little did I know that what was happening all along was actually preparing me for something like this. And so for me, you know, people are astounded when they're like, oh my gosh, how can you just put this all out there? And I'm like, I've been putting it out there for years Mm -hmm. because it's, you know what, I'm human. And the reason I'm putting it out there is because you're human too. And there's no reason for people to suffer when others have the answers. Mm-hmm. And that's really what this what this is. Right. You don't want anyone else to get hurt. No. No. And so with that being said, and with this journey of writing your memoir, what last words would you like to leave our listeners with who might be struggling through a range of different things, whether it's you know, confronting their own addictions or really wrestling with the fact that they've had a life of trauma, what would you say to them? It was said to me and it, it, it moved my foundation. You are exactly where you're supposed to be doing exactly what you're doing. It's all part of the full plan. Little did I know when I was bouncing around for all those years what it was preparing me for. Mm. It's part of my story today. All of the things that were seen as negatives, dropout, promiscuous, you know, uh, well, now that makes me highly, you know, educated. I'm, you know, liberated. They become my gems. And so I I learned that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to, I'm, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And that gave me just a lot of relief. Like, oh, okay. I can, I can just relax for a bit here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That's amazing. Well, Jules, thank you so much for being on our show today. Where can our listeners find your book and follow you in your journey? You know, we made this fantastic website. I call her my mothership. (laughs) (laughs) And it's the name of the book. It's themakingofawoman.com. Themakingofawoman.com. You'll find find all the channels. You'll see all, you know, I've I've been I've been a guest. Uh, I've been blessed to be a guest on on many um, podcasts, um, and you'll see my blogs in there, and of course how to get the book, and and of course you can chat with me there. That's also very rewarding is to hear other people's stories. That's wonderful. So listeners, check out our notes uh, at the end of this show. The show notes that Chris puts together. We'll put the information on how you can find Jules and her book. Jules, we want to say thank you so much for spending time with Mm -hmm. us today. We really appreciate your transparency and sharing your journey with us and our listeners. This has been a wonderful opportunity. I appreciate you guys. Thank you. If you love music and podcasting, now you can have both. Introducing the brand new K2 radio station, available 24-7 on the Live 365 app for free. Specializing in rock and alternative music. We're talking bands like Coldplay, Nirvana, Muse, Imagine Dragons, and yes, even the Rolling Stones. They have all stopped by to drop off songs, and we even have brand new popular tracks added every single day. Also on the free K2 radio station, we are including podcasting. Get the best of both worlds. Download the free Live 365 app or listen online at live365.com and type in K2 Radio. Hey, that was great having Jules on the show today. You know, I feel really bad for all the traumatic things she had to go through and endure in her life. Yeah, definitely. But, you know, I've listening to her and listening to her story, it helps me to understand how resilient we are. And it's unfortunate that people have to be that resilient because of the circumstances they've gone through. But I know for me, I've gone through a lot of difficult situations, not in the same way Jules did, but with my health challenges that I had as a teenager. And I know that it's helped me to figure out how to overcome so many other really challenging situations as an adult. And, you know, I'm just really appreciate her transparency and her honesty with us. And I'm really excited to get my hands on a copy of her book to see what I can learn from it. Yeah, you know, um, it's, it takes a lot of courage to actually even say what the things she had to go through and come out and realize it's stuff and and kind of share her path that mm-hmm. she's been on. It's it's a real challenge just coming out. And a lot of people do is they will just kind of hide that stuff and kind of keep it to themselves and not really um, share really. With right, this, and know. not let other people know what they're – I'm trying to remember what it was. Okay, there was this quote by – George Clooney, or no, it was Michelle Pfeiffer on this movie One Fine Day, and George Clooney, they were talking about um, like their deep, dark chocolate layer. It was just this example that they were using, like that sometimes it's hard to let other people know what that deep, dark layer is inside of you, that hard stuff that you've been through, because you don't know if you're going to be accepted by them. But I think that the real strength in overcoming so many challenging situations is getting to the point where you're not worried about whether or not they're going to accept you. You realize that your story has power and other people need to hear it so that they can see that you've come through it and they can too. Right. People do relate to other people too. I think I think a lot of times when people come out and share their difficult difficult stories and they show some hope on the other end, then we 
when somebody sees that or hears that, they realize that, yeah, you know, I've gone through very similar things in my life and perhaps there's a silver lining for me too at the other end of this. Absolutely. And so if you want to hear more about Jewel's story or get in contact with her, we're going to leave all of her information in the show notes from this episode, as well as links to where you can find more about her and her book. Um, anything else you want to add, Chris? Uh, not too much. You got anything else? We wrap this up, baby. No, I just want to say thanks everybody for sticking with us through our fun little stories about fireworks and childhood antics. And, uh, we just appreciate you so much and all of our listeners. Where can everybody find us? You can go to the website, which is Chris and Christine show.com. We got every single thing you want to know about right on over there. We got a little bit of podcastic audio over there. We got a link to K2 radio and the fabulous Christine Smith designs is right on over there too. Definitely. So make sure to listen, subscribe to this episode, leave us a review and check out the links for our fabulous guest this week. And just a reminder that our family is going to be out of the office, which means there will be no episode of the Chris and Christine show next week while we're spending time with family. We hope to be back with you the following week, but it all depends on what our family needs. So we're taking our little summer break. And we'll be back with you. Summer vacation. I know. And we're going to take the kids to the land of Mickey Mouse. And so. Oh, boy. (laughs) Gee, you're going to see my house. Oh, Oh, my goodness. That's the creepiest thing ever. How dare you? Oh, well, we will be back with you once we get back and get our kiddos settled. Um, It'll probably be a two week break just to make sure that we're getting everything wrapped up here at home. But in our absence, you can listen to some of our old episodes, and then we'll be back with you in a few weeks. That's right. Goodbye, everybody. 